This podcast is not intended to provide any investment advice. The opinions expressed here by either the hosts or guests do not necessarily reflect the views of PSA, Collectors Holdings, or any of their affiliates. Any discussion of collectible values in the past or present is not a guarantee of future performance. Hello and welcome to The Index. My name is Chris McGill and I'm here with Ryan Green and Jack Archer. The Index discusses the hobby from the vantage point of price data and market trends provided by Cardlighter. Here's the rundown. First, we overview notable auction prices realized over the last month, and then we discuss market swings, both by player and by card. So Ryan, let's get started. Let's go. One of our favorite discussions to have every month we're going to start off, as Chris mentioned, with notable auctions from May 2023. We've got some big ones to dive into, and we're going to start with Vintage. Chris, where are we going? Yeah, Vintage is a segment of this of this broader hobby market that continues to buck the trend. The card we're going to talk about is specifically from the category of Vintage, which uh, is down over the last year, but not nearly by as much as other categories. And in fact, this card is is up. So the card in question is the 1957 Topps Bill Russell, PSA 8.5. And the price realized was $660,000. This is the highest Bill Russell sale ever, which is noteworthy. It's, it's interesting to see that happen at this time when, when generally the market is correcting or in, in some categories crashing. So very, very interesting to see that. This card is a pop two. This is a very, very special card. It's there, there's only three instances of a higher graded copy, and they're they're all nines. There are no tens of this card. So there's only two of these eight fives, and this is the best that the public market has ever seen as an eight five. About the set, fifty-seven tops is the first basketball set, or was the first bas- basketball set printed since 1948 Bowman. So there was a big gap. This is a very important set. It has a lot of rookie cards in it, even if players did not technically have their rookie year in 57-58. And that's true of Bill Russell as well, who had his rookie season in 56. So a few last points about this set. There are only 80 cards in it. And what's really interesting about that is because there were 80 cards, in order to fit this 80-card series onto a printing sheet, the pattern used in printing resulted in 30 single prints, 49 double prints, and even one unfortunate quadruple print, which was Bob Pettit. And so these cards are notorious for being off-center, for having snowy print dots, making them frustrating for anybody trying to get a high grade. That information comes from Cardboard Connection. And the Bill Russell per PSA card fax was one of the single prints. So very condition sensitive set, highest Bill Russell sale of all time. Can't wait to hear what you guys think about this one. I have a new appreciation and fascination with Bill Russell. The team and I are working on this campaign right now at Golden called The Ringleaders. NBA Finals theme. And we have various auction items alongside these these cool illustrations of finals rings that we developed. And so like next to a, a Kobe item, there might be five rings. Next to a, a LeBron item, there might be four rings. 
next to Bill Russell, there is 11 illustrated rings. The exclamation point that provides visually alongside these other goats has been so dramatic for me working on this campaign and these different email blasts and everything like that. And I just really, I've always liked Bill Russell. Everyone has always liked Bill Russell. Everyone's always respected Bill Russell. Really seeing that side by side next to these other players, these all timers, these goats, these top one, two, three, five, ten players, it was really, really something else. You know, Chris, you mentioned this was the first basketball set printed in basically a decade when it came out, which results in there being a lot of rookie cards. And things like that just fascinate me so much. And you see a lot of it with basketball cards because it doesn't have really that straight you know, lineage history over the years as baseball cards where there was a product every year. There were, you know, there was all these strange gaps that happened again when you get into the, you know, into the eighties. And I, uh, I really appreciate that. I pulled up the checklist and I couldn't believe that you mentioned it's an 80 card set. I mean, over half of the cards in this set, it appears are rookie cards, which is really cool. But the Bill Russell stands out not only because of the single print, but it's actually pretty true to when he was actually a rookie. Like, it's not like he started playing in 52 and had a rookie card in 57. Yep. Yep. There have been gaps with basketball products. Yeah. After 09, Topps lost the license. It transitions to Panini Upper Deck also lost the license. There's the lockout. There's kind of like a 13th floor missing basketball era and you know just 10 plus years ago uh so it definitely is a thing that baseball really hasn't experienced i love that it adds just a really unique level of hobby history to some of these cards and this russell stands out as one i think it also makes 2012 prism which is a very loaded rookie card class Kawhi, clay thompson draymond uh that much more exciting considering how popular it got in recent years all right, we're going to go to another high-end sale here in the six figures. We're going to shift over to baseball. We, we've got some thoughts on this one. This, this stands out for several reasons, Chris. Yeah, this is an astonishing sale for a, an ultra-modern card number to five. So it's the 2018 Bowman Chrome Red Refractor Shohei Otani PSA 9 Auto 10 PSA 19. It it sold for two hundred and seventy six thousand dollars, and it it by the way it's the, it's the pitching version. There's a batting and a pitching version. This is the pitching. Now, as I was researching this card, I found that this exact copy, serial number three of five, has sold four times in the last eighteen months, which is usually the kiss of death for a card, and. It, to be sure, this was not the highest sale the card has ever recorded. That happened in December of 2021 when it sold for 312000 But it is the second highest sale, not only of this card, but of any Otani card in the public file. And it actually once sold for lower. It, 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 remember, this, this exact copy sold four times. It sold for 240000 That was the lowest it ever sold for. That was in June of 2022. Fast forward basically a year later, here we are in June of 2023, and just a few days ago, this card sold for 276000 So really an interesting, strong price for this card. And just a final note on Otani, I'm nowhere near the baseball expert or connoisseur or even 
probably can't even call myself much of a fan these days, but I was so intrigued by Otani's market and, and how strong it is that I went and I just had to look up the MVP odds. And sure enough, Otani is the odds-on favorite to win the AL MVP this year at minus 150. So what do you guys think? What does this sale tell us uh, about our hobby? On the price side, I just I love the outlier uh, element of this because you know you mentioned four sales in eighteen months is a kiss of death, and we're seeing a lot of examples right now of heavily transacted high end cards where you're seeing them sell for you know anywhere from fifty, sixty, seventy percent of what they were selling for a year ago, and here's the complete opposite. And obviously the card is iconic for so many reasons, but the player matters here, and. Otani, you know, this is just another feather in the cap of, you know, the thinking that he's really an exception to the rule in a lot of different ways. In every possible way. I mean, we're watching something really, really historic. And Ryan Porter, one of our coworkers, said to me once that Otani could throw a perfect game and hit for the cycle. And people wouldn't be surprised. And I think that really shows how special of a player Otani is. But what makes his Bowman Chrome rookie card so much more interesting is because it's also his Bowman first. So a lot of players, their prices are stretched out between their Bowman first card, their other Bowman pre-rookie card, and their rookie card. With Otani, it's very focused. You just have the, the Bowman rookie card, the Topps rookie card, and that's it. And I think because of that, it really helps stabilize his pricing because the overall like inventory is a lot less. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, the, we mentioned a lot of the factors with this card, you know, out of five red out of five refractors, especially when it's a nice team color match, they all factor in, but I really want to hammer home. Like you, you nailed it. Otani just is doing things that we haven't seen. And you know, what do you think that kind of says about his overall collectability right now i mean it's almost like he's a uh you know you talk about industries that can be like recession proof it's almost like he feels like the recession proof player outside of lebron james who we're not counting every single modern player right now across all sports i'm including i'm including messi i'm including ronaldo i'm including mike trout i'm including mahomes i'm including Connor mcdavid Shohei Otani is the number one most collectible modern player right now, full stop. I, I, I truly believe that. There's just so much to like about him. He's so historic, so unique, so fun, and just electric to watch. Zero disagreement. Zero. All right, Chris, let's talk about the sale of a show favorite. We got to go with a PMG here. What do we got? All right, well... Not many times will there be a card graded PSA 4, very good to excellent. In the notable auctions recap, PMGs break a lot of rules, and I think this is another rule that, uh, that the PMG will prove an exception to because the card we have up third is a PSA 4 of the 1997 PMG Green Shaquille O'Neal which is numbered to 10, technically. I mean, it's numbered to 100, but the first 10 were green. The last 90 were red. 
So this card sold for $175,200, which in a landslide is the highest Shaquille public sale ever. The next closest uh, wasn't even in the six-figure range. It was a PMG Red. So truly a market-defining sale for Shaq in the year 2023. And just as a frame of reference for sort of where does this sale sit historically uh, with respect to other all-time records for PMG Greens, and the highest PMG Green sale that we've got documented at Card Ladder was the Kobe PMG Green, which sold on February 22nd, 2022, which looks very weird written on paper. It's just 2 22 22. And of course, it sold for 2 million on that day. So, 2 million for a Kobe PMG Green. That's the, that's the highest PMG Green sale on record. But, uh, you know, this Shaq sale, extremely, extremely interesting. Strong price. And, you know, whether, however you want to put it, strong price for Shaq, strong price for a PSA 4, strong price for a PMG Green, you know, just a really interesting sale. What do you guys think about this one? What I think is so interesting about this sale is that it wasn't at a big auction house. It was a private deal. And not only was it a private deal, but it was verified by Card Ladder. Chris, do you want to explain what that what that process is like and, and how you and your team verify private deals to get that pricing data public? Yes. So that's that's uh, Jack's referring to the Kobe uh, PMG Green sale, which was a private sale at $2 million. And the way that we verify that, there's a checklist of criteria that we look at, but some of the things that we have to see are proof of purchase and transaction, uh, preferably from both sides. We need to see the credibility of the disclosing party. And it's helpful if, as in this case it was, there's a, there's a third party in between. It was one of the big marketplaces in our industry. So that's helpful when there's an intermediary that's able to confirm the price paid. But there's, there's a lot of factors that we look at. And typically, we're going to err on the side of not approving private sales, even if you know the needle points toward the sale probably being legitimate, just because there's really there's no need to be overly willing to bring in a private sale. It's a private sale. Uh, but, but if the sale is important, if there's lots of reliable indicia, giving us a high degree of confidence that the sale is accurate and that it was consummated, as there was in this case, we will verify the sale and we will post it in our database. And so that's what happened with the Kobe. And then this shack, which, you know, didn't even sell for 10% of the Kobe, uh, which, you know, opens up its own can of worms in terms of hobby values and things like that. But this shack, in fact, that sale took place on Golden for 175200 that was my question for you looking at this when you juxtapose it with the Kobe. Shaq undervalued? I just, I, I'm old enough to remember just how dominant and different and special he was. And, you know, he's one of those guys where every time on like social media, every once in a while, you'll see like early Shaq highlight reels pop up. And I always think there's two athletes who in the year 2023, when I see their highlight reels from like the late 90s, early 2000s, I'm still just absolutely in awe and blown away. 
those two athletes are Michael Vick and Shaquille O'Neal. Like it, it just always catches my attention when I see him. Um, you know, is he undervalued now? And kind of how do you kind of project out his market moving forward a little bit? Well, I'll say this, Ryan. Uh, I believe that there's been a shift in the way that the public and by extension, the hobby evaluates players, their accomplishments, their talent level, their dominance. And I think Shaq is partially impaired. His market is partially impaired by the lack of perspective and informational sophistication that existed during his era. And, and to put a more, to put, to make that point more tangible, uh, I was looking at MVP winners um, a few months ago in the NBA, and I was looking at what's the standard that now usually predicts an MVP. And one of the reliable indicators is that if you look at three big catch-all metrics, win shares per 48 minutes, box plus minus, and PER, if you look at those three, if somebody wins at least two of the three, that's predicted nine of the last 10 MVPs. So pretty good. It's, it's, it's become pretty commonplace for advanced metrics like this to strongly guide voters' decisions. Now, unfortunately, that wasn't the case when Shaq played because had it been, Shaq would be the winner of four MVP awards rather than the one that he was awarded during his playing years. And that is the, the greatest discrepancy next to Michael Jordan in this analysis for which player would have won more MVPs had we been in a more statistically oriented era when he played. And I think that penalizes Shaq because I think as, as impressive and awesome as his highlights were, we didn't even realize, we didn't have the objective fashion to say this guy would have been a four-time MVP putting him in truly elite, elite class. So Shaq, I think, was underappreciated when he played. I think he's underappreciated today as an athlete and, and for what he accomplished. And I think even when we had him, we didn't realize, we took for granted this notion that the big man was always going to be dominant, that there would be another Shaq, that there would, that there, but, but it didn't work out that way. So Shaq was truly special. I don't know about, it's, it's always tough in the hobby. Is, is one guy undervalued relative to the other, or is the other overvalued relative to him? That's, that's always tough to say, but I do know this. I think Shaq is an athlete who accomplished things in a professional sport. I think he's very underappreciated. If you had asked me 20 minutes ago how many MVP awards, I don't know MVP history off the top of my head. If you'd asked me how many MVP awards did Shaq win in his career, one would not have been my guess. I probably right. would have guessed like two or three. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised having not looked that up to know that he only won one. So it's very interesting perspective there. He's an incredible personality too. Yeah. Like just fantastic. Yeah. From like the video games and the weird movies he was making in the early 90s and just how like joyful he was off the court as well. There's a lot of like collectability factors in there that don't really add up to prices. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have one quick question before we move on. We went over the, the Kobe PMG green sale verified by card ladder. We went over the Shaquille O'Neal green PMG sale sold on golden. One was for 175,000. 
One was for $2 million. Would you rather have all 10 of the green Shaquille O'Neal's or just one of the Kobe's? The entire run. Imagine that lined Ryan, up in a showcase. Ryan, I feel like you are the most qualified to answer this as a Lakers fan. Ha! <laughs> uh, well, I, man, I'm taking the 10 shacks. I just think the absurdity of that is <laughs> so cool. I, I don't know. I, that's, that's my pick. But I have a feeling you're going to pick the other way. I don't know. That's, that's such an interesting way to phrase it. Um, dare I say that the Kobe might not be worth $2 million today. So maybe, but but granting the premise that it is, I'm I'm going with you, Ryan. I I am going with the ten shacks, the whole run, and you just lay them out. And maybe you have like a PSA four, a six, you know, like a three and a half or something. Just you just have this this magnificent display of these shack PMG greens. I just that would be something that you know. Talk about like ways to sort of stand out in a in a very competitive and impressive hobby filled with very impressive, difficult to match collections. But that that would be that would be truly something. That would be art. Like you could put that in a museum and just line that up. All that said, I'm 100% taking the Kobe. (laughs) I'm glad someone did. I I love (laughs) Kobe Bryant. And I can't afford all the cards I really want of Kobe Bryant. So in this in this dream make believe scenario, the chance to just to own this, yeah, it's worth everything. Yeah, and I mean, I say that as someone who grew up like mesmerized by Shaq, and like you know, as a collector, as a teenager, I never really connected with Kobe. So like, I get it. But if I, if I had, it's probably a more difficult decision. So that's a that's a that's a great would you rather. Well, <laughs> it makes me want to reread the book uh, Three Ring Circus. It's a really good one. Lots of Kobe, lots of Shaq talk. Well, that's been uh, some of the most notable auctions from May 2023. We're going to take a really quick break. We're going to be back. We're going to talk about rising and falling player indexes and rising and falling cards from last month. Stay tuned. Okay, guys. New month, new grading specials from PSA. So before the show continues, I just wanted to drop back in to give you guys all of the details. We've got to lead off here with the biggest draw. This month, we're introducing our 90s plus sports special. Any sports card manufactured from 1990 to present day is eligible. So get the binders and boxes out and start getting those orders prepared. This special, which is exclusive to Collectors Club members, gives you access to $15 per card grading on any card with a maximum declared value of $199. For cards from the 90s all the way up through new releases, such as Donruss Optic Football, Top Series 2 Baseball, and more, this special is perfect. And the estimated turnaround time on these orders will be just 65 business days. Meanwhile, we've got some general admission grading specials going right now as well. What does that mean? No Collectors Club membership required for these two. So in terms of those specials, we're going to start with the Funko Bowl special. Any sports Funko Pop figure with a max DV of $499, grading for these starts at just $35 per pop, with an estimated turnaround time of 45 business days. Our Hot Ticket special offers $50 off of express grading for full tickets and stubs, with a max DV of $2,499 per ticket and an estimated turnaround time of just 30 business days. For full details on our grading specials, visit psacard.com specials. 
And if you're not a Collectors Club member, visit psacard.com slash join to learn more about the perks that come with it and, of course, to join today. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. We're going to jump into rising and falling player indexes. Looking back at May 2023. So, Chris, let's start with who is the biggest riser that caught your eye last month? That would be one Bam Adebayo. Uh, currently in the NBA Finals on a team that is having one of the most improbable playoff runs imaginable. They snuck into the playoffs as an eight seed, but they were really on the brink of elimination, almost not even making the playoffs. So they finished the season as the seven seed, but then they lost their first playing game to the Atlanta Hawks. So then they had to Play one. They had one more chance to play for their playoff lives against my Chicago Bulls, our Chicago Bulls, Ryan, and they almost lost that game. Like I was, I was like secretly hopeful that the Bulls would make it in. I thought Milwaukee sort of seemed a little bit vulnerable. I was just hoping against hope that the Bulls could get in and win a game or two in the playoffs and give us something to feel good about. But alas, no. Such as being a Chicago sports fan these days. But anyway, Miami does make it in uh, off of an improbable fourth quarter comeback over the Bulls. They beat Milwaukee. Uh, granted, Giannis got hurt, which sometimes kind of gets overlooked when we discuss that series. But but even with Giannis participating in, I think, two and a half of the games, uh, Miami won all of the all of the games that he played in. And Butler had a 56-point game, but but Bam was always there. He was just he was a rock. He was a facilitator on offense. He was a an incredible switch defender on defense. A truly difficult matchup for the Bucks and Giannis. They go on. They play New York. They pull off their second straight upset as an eight seed, defeating the Knicks, who were a five seed. And then they get to the seemingly insurmountable Celtics, who are a top two offense and defense this year. They get up 3-0. They blow three straight games. Boston looks like it's going to have the first ever 0-3 comeback in NBA playoff history. But somehow these, these terrible, awesome, resilient Miami Heat pull it off. And, and, of course, Bam Adebayo is just there the whole way. You know, I think this is Jimmy Butler's team, and I think he's pretty clearly the best player on that team. But Adebayo is clearly the number two. And he's just he's he does so many things. He's so important to that team. And I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of collectors, have had a had a a refresher on him or an introduction to him into what a special, talented player that he really is. And now he's in the NBA Finals. He's got a really tough matchup, and he's had at least at least at the time of this recording, he's had several brilliant offensive NBA Finals games. Just a truly special player, and uh, you know, 61% is a, is a big growth over a one-month period for Bam Adebayo. That's how much his index is up. So, pretty impressive. I love Bam, and not only is this not surprising at all to me because his prices were pretty darn low to begin with, but the rest of the players on the Heat outside of of Bam, Jimmy Butler, and Tyler Hero, who's hurt. I don't even know if like Max Struess has a rookie card. Yeah. I don't know if Gabe Vincent has a rookie card. I'm pretty sure Duncan Robinson doesn't have a rookie card. These are all undrafted players, two-way contract players, like non-flashy players by any means. 
I know people kind of like roll their eyes at like heat culture and everything, but like what they're doing is like truly impressive. And because of that, like if you're a heat fan or you fell in love with this sort of Cinderella story of underdog after underdog after underdog winning all of these series, you get your Jimmy Butler card, you get your Bam card. You don't really have anything else to buy. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a big jump. Doesn't surprise me whatsoever. He's also in the two seven two uh, 2017 rookie class. And in my opinion, some of the best prism designs come from 2017. Yeah. I, and Jack, you made a good point before we were recording the show too, that, you know, if you're looking for cards with big ceilings, um, you know, I think this number 61% in one month kind of speaks to it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Like a, a $30 card jumping to $90 is a lot more realistic than a $3,000 card yeah. jumping to $9,000. So it's like, look for these like second and third, you know, guys on these teams that can make a deep run. There's uh that's where the ceiling is to be found. Yeah. I mean, that's why I bought 3000 Cody Zeller cards going into the series. <laughs> How many have moved so far? I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you on my yacht party after I buy it. All right. Well, moving in the other direction, who did you highlight last month, Chris? Yeah. So, uh, this is kind of a funny, uh, you know, contrast here because the players are kind of similar in their functional role. So the, the player that I contrasted, the, the falling index this month, down 21% this month, is Rudy Gobert, the great Rudy Gobert. And the, and the reason why I say he's a contrast is because unlike the Miami Heat, who sort of you know slogged their way through the season, weren't really, there, even, even coming into the season, there weren't tremendous expectations foisted upon them. They hadn't made any big off-season splashes, and they were just sort of flying under the radar. Complete opposite with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who made a blockbuster trade to acquire Rudy Gobert, who really had their sights set on dominating the Western Conference, and for a multitude of reasons they didn't this year. But even still, they were able to sneak into the playoffs also as an eight seed, and Gobert second best player on the Wolves after Ant, maybe third if you would put Towns ahead of him. But, you know, Gobert being a multiple-time defensive player of the year and often, you know, when it comes to guarding the other team's best big, it's Gobert who's guarding him, and plus Gobert's very efficient on offense because of his limited shot selection. So there's maybe it's Gobert, but anyway, Gobert has taken the total opposite path. So you sort of see the two worlds that can unfold here. With, with players in a similar position, whereas Gobert, the Timberwolves were bounced in the first round of the playoffs, 4-1. to one. Anthony Edwards was incredible in that series. Gobert, sort of an afterthought. Even though Gobert, now that we can take stock of these playoffs, having seen the Denver Nuggets and Jokic go up against Anthony Davis, DeAndre Ayton, and Bam Adebayo, Gobert was clearly the best defender to guard Jokic and when you look at the stats it bears out but it ultimately it all washes away by the fact that these guys were an eight seed in the west they got bounced in the first round out of sight out of mind and we have this fall in go bear card prices which also like out of bio were not very high to start with at the beginning of the month so what do you guys what do you guys make of this go bear market trend I mean it's not terribly surprising um, I think I'm, I'm more interested in your guys' thoughts, like as you spin it forward, um, you know, like you mentioned, this was a big trade last off season and they still have all these pieces in place. 
Um, cause I also, when you think about Gobert cards, I'm also thinking about Anthony Edwards cards, uh, who's been a very big hobby darling in the last couple of years, especially during, uh, really the boom period. How do you kind of look at cards of those guys going into next season? Like, is this a team where, you know, maybe it was just a kind of a clunky first year together and the ceiling is still there. Um, how do you, you know, really as basketball guys, how do you, how do you look at this? I could see the moving cat drumming up some new excitement Mm -hmm. overall i mean rudy gobert i know the advanced analytics love him i know that there's a lot to like about his game he's just someone that's like really really never appealed to me to the point that like anthony edwards is less interesting to me as as someone to collect simply because they're on the same team that's entirely unfair and, and and frankly kind of silly of me to think that way but like that's how i feel in sports or emotional yeah so is collecting yeah, th- that's 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 such a great point. That's kind of funny, like, because I can relate to it on on a certain level too. Like, players, you know, we have to watch them play, and we we do get subjected to their teammates, and it can impact the way that we enjoy the collecting process and the way that we think about their legacy. Now, I'm actually on the opposite side with Gobert. I I like Gobert. Um, maybe there's almost a little bit of that desire to have this niche of niches that that sometimes I get as a collector where like I want to find the guy who just nobody else likes but I can still make a case for as being a good player I think maybe a little bit of that's going on but Gobert has an has a limited uh selection as a rookie in 2013 he was involved in prism but he does not have a prism base card he has a signature a, a prism signature rookie card but not a base and so there's no prism gold for example and there was no optic being made in 2013 and as a fan of optichrome cards and you know with select having been a new addition during that time to to panini's offering gobert did happen to get a select base rookie card and at that time select only had one level so there wasn't three tiers, three different, just just one. And he does have a select gold out of 10. And in the last six months, I guess, uh, I've picked up two of them, <laughs> including one as a PSA 10. So I don't know. I, I do like something about Gobert. I like, here's what I like about Gobert. I don't love watching him play, you know, not a huge fan per se, game to game. I'm not fixing my league pass to the Timberwolves. Let's just say that. But I think he ages well in terms of his his legacy as a great defensive player, multiple defensive player of the year. And I, I think that he will be remembered well as, as a defining defender of this era. And as Jack said, somebody who the analytics like, which I tend to like too. So there's, the, there's a different angle on Gobert for you. I will give you this. That select design and that card just in general, absolutely beautiful. And his game, you know, you kind of hit on something I was thinking about, Chris. His game absolutely lends itself to being a guy who long-term is probably going to be remembered much more fondly while, you know, long after his playing days are done. And you look back at the whole picture. For sure. Well, let's talk about some individual cards uh, rising and falling in May 2023. What took a big jump upwards? So the first card I have in my sights for us to discuss, the one that took a 66% leap over the last month, 
It was a guy who halfway through this, the most recent Super Bowl, I was so sure was about to win Super Bowl MVP and change the trajectory of, of the NFL writ large in terms of its, its narratives, its storylines going into the offseason. I was so sure the Eagles were going to win that Super Bowl, and then Patrick Mahomes does what Patrick Mahomes does. But uh, it's Jalen Hurts, a very, very a player coming off of one of the most impressive seasons, and the card in question is a 2020 Prism Red Ice Jalen Hurts PSA 10. The Red Ice is not a numbered parallel. I believe it comes from one of the retail products. The population is 104, uh, and this sale of this Hertz card is the highest on record for a PSA 10 Red Ice Hertz, which is which is noteworthy because this card uh, first started having graded copies hit the market in September of 2021, and then continued to sell throughout you know, the period that was largely a boom period for cards of this type uh, throughout 2021 and 2022. Yet here it is setting its all-time high in late May of 2023. So this card last sold for $554 on May 31st, and it's, it's even doing much better than the Hertz Index in general. The Hertz Index is up 1% over the last month, which is nothing to scoff at, uh, but... But this card itself, a 66% growth, and, it, and it's really just a sharp-looking card. Here's what's really interesting about this. It's officially going for more than Justin Herbert's PSA 10 Red Ice. Not by a lot, by like $10 or so. And it's approaching Joe Burrow's PSA 10 Red Ice. Hmm. What's also interesting is that the population for both Burrow and Herbert is almost 3x what the Jalen Hurts is right now. Wow. So I'm not sure if that's quality control issue specifically with Jalen Hurts, maybe just undergraded in general because he wasn't the super buzzy name. It was a retail product. But very, very interesting and, and, and frankly impressive that Jalen Hurts surpassed Herbert given like how much hobby equity and fan equity and belief there is in the Chargers' young quarterback. Wow. I would not have guessed that. If you were if you were asking me to compare the two, um, but you know, football's right around the corner. We're getting to that time of year where football cards are gonna be very buzzy and trending. Um, man, I I look at this sale price, and it's still you know based on what Hertz just did and the way things lay out for the Eagles going forward off of that Super Bowl appearance. Am I crazy for saying it still feels a little low to me? Yeah, I mean, Red Ice Retail, yeah. it's not a really coveted Prism product. Mm. A little bit Christmassy. And that, frankly, the aesthetics might play into the, the pricing against yeah. Burrow and a, against Justin Herber. I mean, orange and black and red, it's kind of a color clash. It's the opposite of a color match. And same with, like, baby blue and yellow mm. and red. Kind of a weird look. Um the red and green definitely looks the best out of the three of those, but still, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I would much rather have the, the green retail, yeah. the true green color match um, of Jalen Hurts than than the red eyes by by a pretty wide margin. And Chris, you mentioned one percent up on his index for the month. Like it doesn't sound like a lot, but based on what happens typically with football players and their indexes and the market in general this time of year. 
um, says a lot about how his market didn't really die off after the season ended. It does. And, uh, you know, uh, to be more precise, 1.4%. All right. We, we round down, uh, if it's, if it's less than half, but, uh, still to be more precise, 1.4. And he has a pretty healthy sized index on card letter. There's 172 cards in that index. So, if maybe not a lot are selling and this card is on the lower price point spectrum of cards that, that compose the index, you know, it's the, the 1.4% is a movement that statistically is still meaningful. It's, it's not trivial. It's, it matters when a market moves that much, especially coming off of a pretty darn deflating almost Super Bowl victory run that, 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 followed on the heels of an incredible season so to your point ryan that's that's the glass half full is that man these guys are going to come back better they've made some nice off-season moves already there's a lot of reason to be optimistic the glass half empty is man they got all the way to the brink last year which is very difficult to do in any professional sports league but especially in the nfl where the sample size is just one playoff game one year done it's so small that you know, it's just like man, we really blew an opportunity. But it's not just hurts; it's it's other quarterbacks too. Is as myself and the research team as we kind of see sales coming in every night and we're reviewing them. And there's been a clear uptick in Burrow, in Herbert, in Hurts, in Mahomes, in Allen. These guys are having cards sell, and those cards are ticking up right now and they have been for the last month or two and 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 this is where sometimes you especially like with with uh with indexes that have lots of cards in them you have to sort of you sometimes you can't just look at the big picture trend you have to dive in and look at individual cards because you can have different segments of the market moving in different directions you can have ntrpas coming down in price you know, maybe because of overall market conditions, not specific to the player. But if you drill down, you can see that, yeah, they're more affordable, quote unquote, entry level cards are actually ticking up quite a bit right now. And that's that's going to be the case for a lot of quarterbacks right now. It's really interesting to see that market kind of ticking up as as you alluded to, Ryan. Well, let's uh, we'll close it by uh, talking basketball for what's moving down. Um, maybe a, a little bit indicative of, of this player's entire rookie class. Yes. So to close out the show, we've got the 2019 Prism Rookie Penmanship Zion Williamson PSA 10. It's down 39% in the last month, which is tough. That's a that's a big hit that this card has taken. It last sold for $800 on May 20th. And the sale before that was $1,245 uh, a week earlier. So quite a dip. And uh, the population is 31 on this card. The last time the card got this low was when it sold for $1,036 on January 9th of 2022. So we are really you know, at the depths of this market. This, in, in other words, this is the lowest sale on record for this card in this grade. And it's still a healthy amount of money. Eight hundred dollars is 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 a lot of money, but uh, but the the trend is clear on this one, and it's down. So if you're what you're saying is if you're a Zion believer still, the getting's good. I mean, look, this card was selling 
upwards of $5,200 this card sold for on May 2nd, 2021. So we've fallen quite a bit. Well, let's uh, let's close it out as we always do here with the index. Uh, a quick takeaway from the month uh, that was. Chris, uh, you want to start us off? Yes. So let's just keep this simple and to the point. Uh, and it wasn't designed this way, but it just sort of happened this way as I was putting together research for this episode. Are big men in basketball interesting in the hobby? Is, is, are we turning that corner? You know, are, are, we talked about Bill Russell, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest centers of all time. We talked about Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, two of the three uh, headlines in the notable auctions came from centers. And then player indexes, two more centers, Bam Adebayo and Rudy Gobert. So it, it, it seemed to, to be interesting to talk about those players. Their markets are interesting. They're commanding strong prices in some situations, and their markets are dynamic. They're moving up and down. They're fluctuating with performance. In other words, the markets are, are indicating that the hobby is interested in following along with these players, and it sort of bucks the trend that uh, that we've seen historically over the hobby, which is that bigs, guys who play center, guys who you can't really emulate when you're out on the playground as a kid, you know, because of the style of play, that that they aren't really interesting or or they don't really capture the interest of collectors, but but maybe they do. So that's 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 my takeaway. Maybe maybe bigs are interesting in the hobby right now. I think a lot of people can emulate, uh, even though maybe they don't have the size, can emulate Jokic's game out there, yeah. or can at least try to. Yeah, he's got like the yeah. smoothest YMCA dad style. Exactly. Like that's exactly. how I wish I played pickup basketball. I find his style yeah. inspiring. And speaking of big men, like you know, my takeaway this month, I noticed that Shaq PMG sale when it happened, and for some reason that just really struck with me. I've I've never had that urgency to really want to get a couple PMGs into my collection, but I don't know. It was something about seeing that sale. I, I know I can't get a guy at Shaq's level into my PC, but I, I kind of want to start going hunting a PMG or two just to, just to have them in the PC. Not a bad move, right? No, Not no, a bad move. Just something. Here's my big takeaway. I really want to see somebody in the hobby do a full run. Not necessarily 10 green PMGs, but ten gold prisms, even like five red refractors from Topps Chrome, would just be like the the most incredible thing. Visually, I just want to see it. I want to I want to log on Instagram and I want to see that side by side. I want it showcased beautifully. I want it to feel like an art piece, and I want somebody to go out there and do that. I've been picturing it ever since uh, the question was posed. Yeah, it's a magical it's a magical vision. And I'm picturing it like in an art museum, like on display. Yeah, very like airy, all white, yes. very minimal. Lots of white space above and below it. Yeah, it just, just just stands right on its own. Someone out there, make it happen. Well, for Jack Archer and Chris McGill, I'm Ryan Green. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Index here on the PSA Pod. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.